You're listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm author and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, filmmaker and e-reader. This episode, we're ticking off the final box. Wow, it's the final box, Mallory? We did it. We are ahead this year. On the 2023 Reading Glasses, Glasses, Glasses Challenge, read a book with a disabled protagonist. Plus, we got double interviews for you. In in fact, and plus another little sneak peek from somebody else. Three different people talking on this show that are not us. We've covered this episode. We've got author Sharon Emmerichs to talk about her new book and book tech interview with Robert Carter, host of the accessibility podcast Tech Doctor. And my pal Ariel Basca is going to drop in and give us some book recs. Real quick, before we go into this episode, I want to thank friend of the show, Tom Merritt, who always comes in clutch. I emailed him and I was like, Tom, we're trying, we're doing an episode about disabled protagonists, but we would really love to do a book tech segment about someone who can talk about accessibility and reading. And Tom hooked us up with Robert. And I just want to shout out Tom is longtime friend of the show. Always, always helps us out when we always need helpful. it. And an author that we love. But first, before we get into all of that, Bria, what are you reading? Okay, so I'm still in Japan, but it's the beginning of spooky season, so I'm trying to do some spooky Japanese books. Not hard to find. There's a lot of spooky Japanese books, but this one in particular is a murder mystery, and I actually got it from a glasser on Instagram was like, I love this murder mystery. It originally came out in 1988. is just now being published in America, and it's called The Millhouse Murders by Yukito Ayusuji, and the translator is Ho-Ling Wong, and It's a locked room mystery in northern Japan. I think it's northern Japan. It takes place in a remote, castle-y, giant house mansion where this man who was disfigured and lost the use of his legs in a a car accident lives with his very young bride. And he's the son of a famous artist, and he has all the art in the house. And he has made this mask that looks like his own face that he wears over his face. Uh, what? Yeah. And every year, these three people come, these people who are obsessed with his father's art. And But last year they came, and there were a series of deaths one year ago. And the this is not telling you anything that you, you don't find out. So there's a series of deaths where there was a man who died. There's a man who disappeared and they think maybe stole some art. And then also one of the the housekeepers died. Uh, And then so the book takes place both in the present day and one year ago. And it's told chronologically. And it's so smart the way it's told. It's basically they tell the story of the past and that one is in third person. And so you're seeing it all from the third person. And then the present is told from first person from the point of view of the man wearing the the mask and of course in in present day a brilliant detective shows up and is like my friend was said to have stolen your art and killed someone here last year and i just don't think he did it and can i come in i'm a big fan of this house Uh, i know it was designed by this famous architect and i'm a big fan of the art inside and anyway it's called the millhouse murders so you get to find out the mystery the murder mystery as things unfold in the past, but then you also get to see it from a first-person perspective with the detective showing up and what's going to happen there. It is so well-written. I was... It sounds so good. Mallory, I was shocked at the end. I could not figure out what was going to happen, and it, the twist was was really got me, where I was like, oh, I couldn't believe who did the murdering. Um, it, was, uh, it was such a <laughs> shocker. 
Uh, what are you reading? I am reading what is going to be one of my favorite graphic novels of the year. Hotly, hotly anticipated. It came out on my birthday, actually, but I have been saving it for spooky season and I was not disappointed. It is a graphic novel, adult graphic novel, uh, A Guest in the House by Emily Carroll. Oh, my God. It is so good. So it's about this woman and she's just married this guy her new her brand new husband and he was married once before and he is a dentist he has a young daughter and all she knows is according to him his wife died of cancer and then they're they lost the house all her possessions all the the art that she made in a fire and so she's living in this house this beautiful lake house with him and his daughter and she like works in town she's like a very quiet woman and she like lives a very quiet life and the more she talks to people around town about her husband and like lives in the house all the things that she knows about his first wife don't really add up Mm. Like she keeps hearing different ways that this woman apparently died and the daughter is very weird and like talks about her dad in a really weird way. And it's just, it's also intercut with her. She's just like a character that has like a very rich inner life. She's very quiet and introverted, but she has like a very rich imagination. And she's like, so the whole book is in black and white, except for her daydreams, which are in color. Oh, cool. And it's so beautiful. It's so strange. And sp- I was talking to a friend of mine this morning and we both agreed that it's the first time in a while we've had a jump scare from a comic book, Ooh. from like a graphic novel. There's like this one scene that is so scary that you can almost hear like the, like the sting, like that sound from horror movies. Yeah. Like, bum, bum. like it is, it's just so great. I love it so, so much. Uh, so that's a guest in the house by Emily Carroll. And mine is the mill house murderers by Yukito. Ayusuji, translated by Holin Wong. We want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. We got so much feedback about buying books on vacation. Suzanne wrote in to say, I'm listening to your book shopping on vacation episode and I have a suggestion. An author friend of mine loves supporting the local bookstores she read in while on book tour. She would ask each owner or manager if they would be willing to pack up her selections and use media mail to send them home for her. Hmm. Oh, this is next level genius shit. Yeah. And most of them were happy to do so. She would pay for the shipping and have a big pile of books waiting yeah. for when she got home nice. i've started doing this too and most indie booksellers are thrilled and the rest are willing i start with i'm traveling out of state and really enjoying your store i'd like to buy some books but i have limited space in my suitcase would you be willing to use media mail to ship some books to my home address i'm happy to pay for the shipping if i decide to get an ebook version of something i saw in their store i also try to remember to change my bookshop.org store selection so they'll at least get some of my money i get lots yeah. of books without having to schlep them to the airport and the interesting new bookstore gets the sale I this that. is genius I and i will it. say literally every single time i've ever been to a bookstore and asked for a book and if I, they don't have it they're always like we can ship it to you so yeah i am sure most booksellers are ready and willing to ship your books to or at you. least willing if not ready <laughs> they're willing yes <laughs> Ari wrote in and said, instead of the local bookshop, check out the local library. Oh, interesting. This is for our traveling. This is, with this is also yeah. a hot, hot tip. The librarians are more than happy to tell you about not to miss things. And you can usually find free bookmarks that have the city name on them. Win, win. I will say I've been to some really cool local libraries when traveling. The Austin Public Library is one of my favorites. I did used to live in Austin, so I 
was excited about that. But also the Kansas City Library is amazing. I spent some time there when I was yeah, working in Kansas is. City. It's such a cool, giant it's library. Incredible. Yeah. And so, like, look up the local library. There can be some really good ones. Actually, I was shooting in the middle of nowhere in Florida. And I looked up the local library because I needed to do some work and I wanted to get out of my hotel. And the local library had a coffee shop in it. And I was so happy to find the coffee shop and the local library. And I was like, wow, "Wow, if you are looking for a place to hang, I mean, the local library is a really good idea. Hot, hot tips here, folks. Roxanne wrote in to say, uh, dear Mallory and Bria, as an airline pilot. So this is the Roxanne that we know that you got to meet in Hawaii. Yes. We love this Roxanne. We love all rock. I mean, I guess maybe there's probably some bad Roxannes out there. But this is... A great Roxanne. This is a great one. This is a great one. I also have a friend who's a great one, but yes, many good Roxannes. Oh, yeah. Good Roxannes out there. Uh, So Roxanne says, as an airline pilot, I loved having work trips with overnights in different places because it gave me a chance to visit so many bookstores I otherwise would never have seen. One in particular I loved was Lunenburg Bound in Nova Scotia. I didn't have the capacity to buy any more books the day I visited, but I still wanted to support them. Another way to help bookstores while on vacation is to leave a review. I noticed that the store didn't have too many reviews or photos on Google Maps. I asked them if I could take a couple pictures of their gorgeous nautical themed displays and then post on a nice online review. Thanks for another amazing episode that hits so close to home. You two are the best. Oh my God. I bet you they were so grateful to Roxanne. Honestly, I use, I never review things on Google Maps, but I do use them all the time. So if you are a Google yes. Map reviewer, thank you so much. I go look at your reviews. I find things based on Google Map as a person who's traveling right now and I'm just looking for stuff all the time. It is very, very helpful. And so if you want to shout out local bookstores or bookstores you visit on Google Maps, it is a great way to get them some attention. This is Um, a fucking great tip. Yeah. Randy wrote in and said, Hi, I'm a big fan of your podcast and have been a listener since the beginning. I love the discussions, the book tech tries, and the community. I just finished the buying books on vacation episode and wanted to share my tips for those of us who just can't stay away from a bookstore and want to support (laughs) local shops. One, I bring books on vacation that I will finish and that I will leave in a hotel or Airbnb. I like to think my books are all over the place by now being enjoyed by random people. Oh, I love this. Okay, you can leave them places. Great. Two, this frees up room for the books I'm going to buy. Three, I never check a bag, but sometimes I went a little crazy in the bookstore or getting souvenirs. (laughs) So my best travel tip is to find a UPS and ship home your things. It's usually about $20 cheaper than checking a bag, and I trust UPS way more than the airlines to take care of my items. Here, here. I agree. Hard agree. Wow, that is... these are hot, hot. Yeah, these tips. are really good. So you bring a book, you know you're going to finish it, you leave it behind, and then you buy another book on vacation. That sounds amazing. And then have it shipped home. Yeah, that's. These are great tips and great travel All tips. Geniuses. I'm always looking for travel tips. Amazing. So you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com if you want a list of all the books we talk about on the show delivered to your inbox every month. You can sign up for our newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. Quick bookmark from me. Uh, If you are in Los Angeles or Burbank or or that area and you want to go to a library talk and check something off of your Reading Glasses Challenge list, you can come to the Burbank Library, one of the Burbank libraries. I'll put the link in the show notes to the the address and, and everything. But I'm doing a Girls Make Movies talk. I'm doing a kid's workshop friday uh, october 6th which is tomorrow and it's gonna be super fun i'm gonna do a kids talk about girls make movies and making movies and then there's gonna be a workshop so if you have a a kid you have a, a girl in your life you have a daughter niece whatever it is and you and she really likes 
making videos and watching movies and creativity and making stuff, bring her on down. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's right. totally free. It's going to be super fun. I can't wait. And again, you that will be you checking off a library event off of your list. So, and this is in Burbank. If you're in the area, please come on down. Check the show notes for the link. So before we talk about reading books with disabled protagonists, we're going to take a quick break. Reading Glasses is brought to you in part this week by Microdose Gummies. So you've probably heard about people microdosing maybe on this podcast. And if you haven't, all you need to know is that all sorts of people are microdosing daily to feel healthier and perform better. You can use them when you want to get creative. You can use them when you want to sleep better. You can use them when you want to wind down after a big workout like I have Maybe you are a writer and you want to help getting in that creative zone. Maybe you have insomnia like me and have a hard time sleeping. Maybe you have anxiety and you're trying to find ways to get off that mental hamster wheel. Listen, being alive is hard. Microdose gummies have got your back. They deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Microdose is available nationwide. And to learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code GLASSES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show notes. But again, that's microdose.com, code GLASSES. GLASSES. The human mind can be tricky. Your mental health can be complex. Your emotional life can be complicated. So it helps to talk about it. I'm John Moe. Join me each week on my show, Depression Mode with John Moe. It's in-depth conversations about mental health with writers, musicians, comedians, doctors, and experts. Folks like Noah Khan, Sashir Zameda, and Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. We talk about depression, anxiety, trauma, imposter syndrome, and perfectionism. We have the kind of conversations that a lot of folks are hesitant to have themselves. Listen, and you won't feel as alone, and you'll have some laughs, too. Depression Mode for Maximum Fun at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. This week, we're ticking off another box on the 2023 Reading Glasses, Glasses, Glasses Challenge. Read a book with a disabled protagonist. Why did we put this on the challenge and what books do we recommend to complete it? First off, as always, the rules. Now, we did say protagonist, which means that we meant it to be fiction. And if you really want to, you can do nonfiction. But someone really wisely pointed out in the Slack channel, you know, there is a need. There is a, a dearth of fiction out there with disabled protagonists, something that we think is crap. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's definitely an underrepresented type of protagonist, especially considering that 13% of the whole population is disabled, which means we want to support what's out there and show publishers that people really want to read books with these protagonists. So that's why we put it on the challenge this year. So we would prefer that you tried fiction, but if you really, really want to do nonfiction, that's fine. We know y'all like rules. We're saying we are open. You can do whichever, but we prefer you try a fiction. Try it. Yes. 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 Uh, which is as to what counts as a disability. So um, the ADA says an individual with a disability is defined by the ADA as a person who has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities, a person who has a history or a record of such impairment, 
or a person who is perceived by others as having such an impairment. So people, of course, are going to have their own definitions, their own ideas. If you are a disabled reader and you have your own ideas about what counts, totally let us know. Again, I think this is kind of left up to interpretation for the glassers who are participating in the challenge. But if you fall into this ADA category, if your protagonist falls into this ADA category, we're going to say that it counts. Yes, because there's also, you know, there's a lot of like fantasy and sci-fi books out there that have disabled characters, but because of like the fantasy world, you know, they are not diagnosed with what we would call them in the real world, but, you know, they are experiencing these same things. So if you're like, ah, well, the book doesn't explicitly say Mm -hmm. that this character has this, but they kind of fit this thing. Yeah, yeah, we talk about that a lot with like, especially, I mean... With, with autistic characters where we're like people have really wanted autistic characters and there's a lot of books that don't define them as that but but then the author later will be like yes so you can also find the author talking about it that might be a way to figure it out but also we will definitely leave this up to your discretion glassers are smart you can figure it out yes you got we it. know you folks got this yeah so bria how did we complete this part of the challenge i read gallant or gallant i never figured out how to pronounce this what is it? I think it's Gallant. Okay. You can leave that in, Britt. Uh, I read Gallant. <laughs> I read Gallant by V. Schwab, uh, which is a fun slash dark YA horror. It came up on a lot of lists, and I was interested because it was horror, and I like horror books. It's about a young woman whose mother passed away, um, and she's living elsewhere, but then she gets a letter from her family inviting her home to their spooky gothic manor, and she goes there, and not only is the family like, uh, we didn't invite you. She also starts seeing these like half-formed ghosts walking the halls. And the characters mute, but a lot of the reviews, and this is one thing that really interested me in the book, is that she has this really rich, interesting inner life. And she's really stubborn, and she really wants to do what she wants to do. And I really like that because she's not very welcome in this house. But she's like, I'm staying. I'm staying at this house. Um, and it's a really fun read. I just had a great time with it. What did you read for this challenge, Mallory? Uh, so I have been taking online ASL classes for almost two years now, and I really wanted to read a novel for this part of the challenge with a deaf protagonist because, hmm. you know, it's just I've been having so much fun with it. And I love signing so much that it's like I really this, this is what I wanted to read. So I picked True Biz by Sarah Novick. It is a wicked good book about a school for deaf kids that's about to lose its funding and several people involved. So there's several POV characters. One of them's a teacher. One of them's a new student. One of them's a longtime student. And it's extremely fucking compelling. Really good for character people. Like if you are a character reader, this is you should pick this up. And the cool thing was like every chapter or so there was like uh instructions on how to sign certain words and phrases which Ah. i really really loved because you know i'm taking online classes so the stuff that i'm learning is very like proper and not necessarily Mm. feel like i'm not going to be learning like slang and like phrase it turns of phrase so it was really fun for me to do that and i definitely want to read more books like this in the future and it's definitely something i'll be seeking out and i highly recommend it so speaking of Are there any books that you would be interested in, in reading more of? Well, speaking of nonfiction, I um, I started listening to this cool memoir called The Pretty One on Life, Pop Culture, Disability, and Other Reasons to Fall in Love with Me by Kea Brown. Oh, I like Kia that book. Brown. Yeah. Is it Kia or Kea? 
uh, Bakia or Kaya Brown, sorry, um, I don't know which it is. She has cerebral palsy and she started the viral hashtag dis- disabled and cute. Hashtag disabled and cute. And it has this whole chapter about her relationship with chairs. Are you the one who told me about this book? Is that Maybe. why I Maybe. I think I might have talked about this on the show like years and years ago. It's, well, it's so clever and it is, yeah, it's cute. She's very cute. And I like memoirs and I like listening to memoirs. So I was thinking like, although we are wanting fiction for this, like nonfiction is quite interesting to me. And this was one that was interesting to get into her headspace. And I'm going to finish listening to that one for sure. What are you interested in reading more of? I really want to see more sci-fi and fantasy with disabled protagonists. Uh, uh-huh. So there's this idea that like, in there's a lot of like problematic sci-fi and fantasy books that have this idea that, you know, in a, in a sci-fi future or a magic world, like there would be no disabilities or that disabled mm-hmm. people would choose not to have their disabilities, which is just untrue and just shit basically and my own like teeny tiny slice of this is that this is such a silly story but a year or so ago world of warcraft a game that i have been playing for almost 20 years made it Mm -hmm. so you can buy glasses for your character and i immediately bought Uh some for my character and someone that i know was like you want your magical fantasy character to have terrible vision like you do so and need glasses and i was like honestly yeah i do (laughs) i really (laughs) it's a part of who i am I don't like to wear contacts. I love my glasses. If I had, like, I feel weird without it. It's how I, like, navigate the world. I don't know how to do it any other way. I wouldn't change that about myself. So that tiny, like, obviously this is not comparable to people with more significant disabilities. But it just, that little slice in the new expansion of World of Warcraft, There's you see more NPCs with disabilities. And that's that little thing made me start to notice it more in fantasy and sci-fi spaces and, you know, accessibility and accommodation. It just made me really hungry to see, to play, obviously, and to read more books like that because it's so fun. So, yeah, I mean, I if any sort of sci-fi, especially fantasy, because I'm much more into fantasy than sci-fi, but I, I just want to see more characters like that in those books. And I, I don't know why that buying glasses for my holy spec... <laughs> priest in world of warcraft they have contact lenses in world of warcraft probably not no contact lenses glasses only glasses only glasses and monocles because i don't think i don't think the they do have monocles but i don't think plastic exists in the world of warcraft oh so your glasses are made of metal in world of warcraft they're made of made of metal and glass they're real glasses at least i think so for my little my little priest and yeah, it just uh, between that and reading True Biz, I just really want to read more of it. It's uh, yeah, I, I think that it's it's terrible that we don't have more fiction like that, which is uh, why I'm really excited to see what everyone read for this part of the challenge. I mean, I, I also have to recommend the the book that our first guest wrote. I think people are going to like it. I will save it. We'll you folks hear this interview and people once people find out what this book is about, it's going to be like a glass or stampede oh. through the bookstore. Excited. I'm so excited about it. So you can send your thoughts on disabled protection to reading glasses podcast at gmail.com but before we talk to sharon emmerichs and you guys do a stampede on the bookstore we're going to hear from ariel basca who is going to give us some more recommendations if you are trying to complete this part of the challenge hello i'm ariel basca and i am so happy to be able to share a few of my favorite books with you i and myself, a multiply disabled filmmaker, podcaster, and film festival director. And I am pulling off a few of my favorites from my favorite shelf, and I'd like to just tell you a little bit about them. 
the first book that I'd like to talk about is Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents. This is a duology dealing with a dystopian future. It's dark science fiction, but the main character in this series has hyper empathy. And the hyper empathy that she has is not explicitly a disability, but when I read it, I feel very seen as someone with a disability. I really have always admired Octavia Butler's writing to a great degree, but I think it's so powerful the way that she conjures this whole imaginative backstory that really gets to the heart of experiencing injury, experiencing powerful emotion, all kind of wrapped into this tale about the apocalypse when the world is completely on fire, which, let's be honest, our, our world kind of is on fire. But I love this duology. I highly recommend it. If you want to check out something a little different, I can recommend Autobiography of a Face by Lucy Greeley. This is a childhood memoir about her experiences growing up with Ewing sarcoma. Uh, she received a cancer diagnosis when she was very young. This work has particular personal resonance for me because of my childhood with medical trauma. There is no work that is more poetic and more frankly hilarious about the lens of a child going through the experience of mortality than this one. I highly recommend it. I also highly recommend for a completely different take on a childhood with disabilities, A Silent Voice. This is by Yoshitoki Oima, and it's a work that explores a deaf girl's relationship with her bully. This is a lengthy Japanese manga that explores kind of what the cultural norms around disability are in Japan, as well as what the mental health costs of bullying long-term are. I cannot recommend any of these three works enough. Just to let you know a little bit about me, um, I have a podcast, Ride the Omnibus, that's parked at the intersection of pop culture and social justice. And my film festival, Access Horror, celebrates disability and horror. I hope you enjoy my picks and uh, take care. And so before we talk to Sharon Emmerichs about her new book, Shield Maiden, we're going to take a quick break. Reading Glasses is brought to you in part this week by Dipsy. Folks, it is officially cozy season. And what better thing to cozy up with than a sexy story? Dipsy is full of them. It is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. It is radically inclusive. Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, and 56% of stories are voice acted by people of color. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy stories you can read. But we're really here for the sexy audio stories. You know, again, 
It's getting chillier. Maybe you need something to warm you up. Eh. We love Dipsy. It's really such a well-designed app. It is perfect for people who are hungry for more and more erotica and romance stories and for people who are looking to get into the genre. Both Bria and I have been reading more romance this year and we've been really enjoying it. It's really fun to figure out what tropes you're into. And what's cool about Dipsy is you can actually search by trope and by your sexy wheelhouse. It really is designed by romance fans for romance fans. You should absolutely check it out. And for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash glasses. So that's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash glasses. That's dipsystories.com slash glasses. Glasses. Hey, this is Daniel Barwella, technology and data specialist. I'm here with Kira Gowan, ad operations specialist, and we are both worker owners here at Maximum Fun. October is National Co-op Month, so we're celebrating our brand new co-op and others with an event called Co-Optober. We've got special events all month long, starting with a live Q&A on YouTube, where Max Fun worker owners will answer your questions on Friday, October 6th, and much more to come. We also want to tell you about some incredible limited edition merch exclusively available to MaxFun members until the end of October. If you're already a member of MaxFun, you've shown that you care about our shows and what we do. If you also want to help launch us into this new cooperative era and show off your support, go ahead and get yourself a hat, pin, or shirt. We worked with some of our favorite artists to make them really special. For details on merch, all of our upcoming events like Meetup Day and more, visit MaximumFun.org slash Co-Optober. That's C-O-O-P-T-O-B-E-R. Happy Co-Optober! So here we are with author Sharon Emmerich. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So first off, very important question, what are you reading? Oh, that is a big question. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I have a, a to-be-read list uh, stack that's so big. Right now, I'm actually reading Ink and Bone by Rachel Kane. Uh, this was recommended to me by a friend, and um, so I finally I finally picked it up, and now I can't put it down. And my to-be-read list, the next is going to be A Slight of Shadows by Kat Howard. She's one of my favorites. She's an automatic one-click buy for me. House of Odysseus just came out by Claire North, and I can't wait to dig into that one also. Um, And in that vein, I also can't wait for the release of Emily Wilson's new translation of the Iliad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm definitely noticing a theme here. (laughs) (laughs) I I like the old mythological epic stuff. Yes. Well, speaking of, you got to tell us about your new book, Shield Maiden. Well, I'm a British, early British literature professor. And so I have taught Beowulf in my classes for many, many years. And so Shield Maiden was born from a bunch of questions I actually had about the original poem. Every time I would read it, every time I would teach it, these same questions would come up and I would always get frustrated by these big gaps in the story. So Beowulf always focuses on like, Beowulf himself, like the big hero, the kings, the noble characters, but these gaps in the story that I wanted to know about were about the the minor characters, the the slave, the exile, the dragon, and like 
the, the, the original poem tells us that some unnamed slave, doesn't even have a name, was exiled from his master's house, fell into a crevasse, and found a major dragon's hoard, stole a goblet, thinking that he could buy his way back into his master's good favor. And I always wondered, what is this? What is this guy's story? <laughs> Who's this guy? What did he do? For, number one, what did he do to get exiled from his master's house? We, we don't know. Uh, number two, how did he manage to find this massive dragon uh, gold hoard, treasure hoard? And why did he steal a goblet specifically? I always thought it was odd that that was specified, but never explained. Uh, and I wanted to know the answers to these questions, and they didn't exist in, in the poem. So I decided I needed to write a novel that answered them. So I did. That is amazing. Well, so would you call this a Beowulf retelling, or is it more of a reimagining? I love that question, because this question just came up to me uh, this past summer. Uh, I first heard the term reimagining from Claire North when we did our panel, The Epic's New Clothes, at Chimera in uh, Edinburgh, Scotland. And she answered this exact question, and it really made me start to think about how I viewed my own book. And I really think it's a brilliant distinction because I don't actually retell the story of Beowulf. I take some pretty hefty liberties with it. So... At this point, I do call it a reimagining because the novel does basically follow the original story, or at least the last third of the original story, The Battle with the Dragon. But my idea when I wrote it was to try to cast some doubt on the narrative voice of the original Beowulf poem and make it seem like it was told by an unreliable narrator. Ooh. Um, and so, yeah, my, my whole my whole shtick in writing this was you can't trust epic stories. They're told by the victors and they're told to privilege their own voices. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in doing that, which voices are silenced? Which voices do we not hear? And those are the voices I bring to life in, in my novel. And so I do tell the original story, but from an alternate perspective that brings into question stories that we've heard, you know, over and over and over and over again. So, um, so I like to, to think that, you know, I'm, I'm asking my readers to reimagine the story um, from these lesser, not lesser characters, but, but marginalized characters perspectives. Well, perfect segue into my next question. So this episode is all about disabled protagonists. You got to tell us more about your incredible protagonist. <laughs> Thank you. Frida. Yes. She came about just because I needed a plot point. And then she completely took over the book. <laughs> much, gotta love it. Much to my astonishment. And at some point chagrin because I had to rewrite the entire first half of the book to change the focus from Theo to, to Frida. Uh, Theo had been my original protagonist. He, he was the star of the show. And like I said, by the time I was halfway, two thirds of the way through, I realized that wasn't true anymore, that Frida had absolutely gotten a grip on me, had gotten a grip on the book, and I needed to make it all about her. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and part of that was the fact that I decided to give her a disability. 
number one, it's because it's it's in in, in some ways it's a disability I actually share. I have really uh, severe rheumatoid arthritis, and my hands are are in a pretty bad way. I have to wear braces and, and splints and, and all kinds of things on my fingers and thumbs, um, which, which can make typing challenging, as you can probably imagine. Um, yeah, geez. And I, I have a lot of pain in my, in my knuckles and joints. And um, as, I was, as I was writing her, I wanted to kind of give her another obstacle, another challenge, because she has to come up against so many challenges that she has to overcome, that she has to figure out in this book. And I thought a physical disability would be a, a, a really uh, pertinent one, uh, especially because in early medieval society and culture, disabilities were, were not looked upon with any type of favor. It was, it was really problematic to have one. So, uh, so that was another challenge that I wanted to give to her. And so I, I wanted to allow her to succeed against almost impossible odds, against obstacles that in her culture would have been viewed as insurmountable. And a disability was definitely one of those. And she says, "Too bad." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and she never she never lets it. She never gives up. She never loses sight of her dreams and what she wants. She never allows it to halt or hinder her, even though everyone else around her, except Theo, is telling her that that's what she needs to do. She uh, she she never listens to them, and ultimately, you know, it, it you know she 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 does come out all right in the end, but she has to go through a few really, really uh, difficult moments in order to make that happen. So something I was very excited to see in this book, and I know a lot of listeners to the show will be excited to see, you got to tell us about her romance in this book. <laughs> it's really funny. This book actually suffered from a serious crisis of genre or, uh, within its lifetime. I actually started to write the book as a romance. Oh, that's so interesting. Yes, I'm an avid romance reader. Um, there are a lot of incredibly wonderful and, and feminist romance writers out there that I love reading, and I was really inspired by them. I was really inspired by the stories that they told and, and the relationships that they established. And so I had, I had envisioned Shield Maiden as, as, a, as a genre romance novel. Um, but the problem is, is that if you write a book that has a dragon in it, everybody wants to be <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> They're very troublesome, the dragons. And so I, I kind of had to shift. I kind of had to, uh, you know, I was told, you know, by many people early on, you really have to figure out this, this problem of genre in your book. And so my agent and I have finally decided, okay, let's aim it towards the fantasy crowd because, you know, dragon, and let's see how that goes. So again, I had to rewrite a lot of the book in order to solve the genre problem, but I, I refused to take the, the romance out. I, I loved the romance between Theo and Frida, and uh, so it started to answer the question, what did the slave in the poem do to get kicked out of his master's house? And I decided, you know, getting too frisky with the Lord's daughter would work for that. Uh, uh, oh, that man. Yeah, point. it all is all clicking together now. <laughs> yeah. And so um, and so the, from the very beginning, the romance between the two had to face a lot of challenges, challenges of class, of disability. And, and Frida's not the only one with a disability. Theo um, suffered an injury that uh, gave him total memory loss from his childhood. 
Um, so he he has to deal with that throughout the whole book. Uh, her family's disapproval. Um, but I still wanted the the romance to just shine through the book. I wanted a romance that only dealt with conflict from outside sources. I specifically avoided adding any conflicts between the two lovers from within the relationship. I wanted which them to I be- love because that inter interrelationship conflict is too stressful for me. It is. It is. You will never see me writing a a um, third uh, part of the book breakup because it just gives me so much stress. But I wanted. Them- I can hear the collective sigh of relief amongst so many <laughs> listeners. I wanted them to be loving. I wanted them to be supportive of each other. I wanted them to be there for each other. I wanted them to be I wanted them to fight for each other and I didn't want I mean of course you know they are going to have have conflicts you know because they're people but never anything that tests their relationship from each other but everyone else is gonna try and break them up and toss obstacles in their way and explain why they can't be together so finally you've got to tell us about this troublesome dragon a lot of our listeners are huge dragon fans let us in on the dragon action and shield maiden. <laughs> I love my dragon. I really do. <laughs> um, the dragon in the original poem is just a monster, right? It's it, it just uh, wakes up, breaks out, kills everybody, flames all of the villages for just because this slave stole a goblet. So I really wanted to. This is one of those reimagining moments. I really wanted to reimagine the dragon, um, and I wanted people to kind of fall in love with her, to to sympathize with her, to mourn and grieve for her. Um, I wanted to give her a reason for the way that she acted. I wanted to give her motivations for the things that she did. And I didn't want her to just be a mindless, destructive monster. So, so my dragon has history, has her own story, has tragedy, this inescapable curse that she's trapped, uh, that she's trapped in. Um, and I also wanted my dragon to have this sort of otherworldly feel. I wanted her passages to be really different from the, the regular chapters with the regular characters. So I actually wrote them differently. I used a lot of the old English literary devices that occur in the original poem and only in her sections of the book. So the short little dragon sections have strong stressed meter. I wrote them in poetry. Um, They have alliteration. They have kennings. They have sejuras. I tried to really um, sort of honor the original poem by using all of those devices in the dragon um, sections, which I think kind of sets them apart from the rest of the book and makes them a little bit more magical. They sound different than the rest of the book. And so I think whether, I mean, whether the the reader notices those things or not is not, is not important. Those sections will still sound different from the rest of the book. Does that make sense? Oh, it absolutely does. I cannot think of a better pitch for, for someone to read this book. (laughs) I think people are going to be so excited about shield maiden really big buzzy release for for this fall but before we let you go we have to know more about you as a reader Sharon Mm. what is your reader wheelhouse I know you said you're a romance reader but what subjects tropes what Mm. what will always get you to pick up a book uh there are a few things that I just cannot resist I've always loved like the hero's journey kind of books um, I started reading those when I was a kid and I've, I've, I've never grown out of them, I suppose. So 
I'll always, I'll always pick up Lord of the Rings. I'll always watch it when it's on TV, that sort of thing. Uh, any book that's based on a fairy tale or folklore, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm caught. I'll read it. Um, one of my favorite authors, one of the most influential authors of my life um, was Patricia McKillop. And I loved her so much because all of her books were rooted in these stories that we all know in these, in these uh, histories and fairy tales and things like that, that, that I grew up with. So I absolutely love those. As I've already told you, a splash of romance is always welcome. Dragons, <laughs> dragons are always a plus. I love a good dragon book. Um, I have a particular fondness for grumpy sunshine relationships. And in fact, <laughs> I'm incorporating one of those in this new book that I'm writing. Um, I just, I love them. I can't help it. I, I love the grumpy sunshine dynamic. But I think maybe the most important thing that I, I love is I'm always drawn to really richly realized world building. It's one of the reasons I'm loving Ink and Bone so much. It's one of the reasons I loved Babel so much. I, I read that last and was absolutely blown away by it because the world building was flawless and seamless and, and it was perfect. And so I'm really inspired by books that have world building that is organic and natural and just draws you into that world and doesn't let you go. Oh. Love it. Absolutely love it. What a great wheelhouse. So Sharon, are you doing any events? Where can people buy the book? Is there a special place they can buy signed copies of it? That's a really good question. In the US, I don't know if there are any places where people can buy signed copies of it. Um, there, there are some in, in the UK that they can order, I suppose, but I don't know if they would want to do that. We have a lot of UK listeners too. We have so. a lot of UK listeners. Well, Goldsboro yes. Book has some, has some, uh, a special, uh, signed edition. I think they still have some left. So that would be one place to get a special signed copy. It actually has a different colored cover. It has a, a, blue, it has a, a turquoise blue cover. It's really beautiful. I know that, uh, you can get, do pre-orders at, uh, on Barnes and Noble, and right now, there's actually a promo giveaway on Goodreads uh, for one print copy of it. Um, quite a lot of people have signed up for that. Last I looked, there were like 3,500 people signed up. Oh, for hell yeah. For Love to see that. Of my book, and it's just kind of amazing. And you can also pre-order on Amazon, from Bookshop, from all of the online um, book places. You can come say hi to me on Twitter. I'm DragonWriter1 on Twitter. I have a... Oh, I love it. I have a website, uh, SharonEmmerichs.com. I'm on Instagram as DragonWriter01. There already was a DragonWriter on that one, so I had to I had to give myself a number. <laughs> and I have a Facebook page at SharonEmmerichs-Author. So um, I love talking to people on social media, so any of your listeners would be more than welcome to come and say hi to me in any of those places. Fantastic. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. I had a really fun time. Now let's look at some book tech advances and bookish technology. For this very special episode, we got a very special book tech guest. Robert Carter is the host of Tech Doctor, a podcast about Apple accessibility. And he is here to talk to us about adaptive reading tech. So here we are with Robert Carter. Robert, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell us about your podcast? Yes, and thanks for having me. Well, first of all, my podcast has been rolling since 2010. Wow. It's called the Tech Doctor Podcast. 
it got its name because it's a podcast that mainly has to do with accessibility, especially Apple accessibility. I am a totally blind uh, podcaster, have been blind since birth, so I'm very excited about and interested in all that Apple has done to make their devices accessible to someone like myself who is blind. And I felt that a podcast needed to be out there that really devoted itself primarily to covering the ins and outs of Apple accessibility. So we've done a lot of different things over the years since 2010, but our primary focus always goes back to Apple accessibility. And that's mostly what we've been uh, dealing with in recent years. We haven't been podcasting as much as we did in the beginning. I have a couple of co-hosts that I work with now. Oh, by the way, the podcast got its name, uh, Tech Doctor, because I uh, worked for 33 years as a university psychologist at Texas A&M University, and I have a PhD in psychology. They're the, that's the doctor part, and I've always loved technology, so that's how the so tech, you are the tech doctor. That's it, I am the tech doctor. That's how that came about. Well, that is awesome. And here we're reading podcasts. We'd love to hear about any recommendations you have for adaptive tech and accessibility for reading. Well, you know, reading is a very important part of my life. I've always been a reader ever since I was uh, a child and have always loved it. But unfortunately, as a child, my reading material was quite limited. I really enjoy reading in Braille. And also these days, of course, anyone, almost anyone who doesn't have a, a hearing impairment that present, prevents it also uses audio for reading. We have so many audible books now on audio and in uh, uh in other formats that are readily available. But Braille is still my preferred reading format. But sadly, as a child, the, the number of books that were available in Braille were very limited. They had a lot of Westerns and a lot of religious uh, materials, neither of which fulfilled my need and desire for reading materials. They had other things as well. I don't want to sell the National Library Service short, but the vast majority of books that are available in print never make it into hard copy Braille, unfortunately. But that all really changed in recent times. I was never so excited as the day that I got up, Mallory, and discovered that the Amazon Kindle app had finally become accessible on the iOS devices, because what this did was this made thousands, hundreds of thousands, probably millions of books that weren't accessible yesterday, accessible on that day. And that is like a kid in a candy store for me, because these books that are accessible on uh, the Kindle, can be read in many different ways. They can be read with uh, with the speech synthesizer on a phone or a computer. They can be read on a Braille device. We, we call them an electronic Braille display. 
And so suddenly there were reading was just wonderful. Um, and, and it's, oh, that's so cool. It's been fantastic to be able to access all these books. And of course it's more than just Kindle. It's, it's audible books. It's, it's all kinds of materials that just have made it into the mainstream that someone like myself has 100% been able to benefit from. Now, you know, it's a bit more complicated for me. You need to know how to use access or accessible technology to read these materials. And unfortunately, these Braille devices that I love so dearly are very expensive and not everyone who needs or wants them can afford them. And they also require a fair amount of technical skill to interface the Braille device with the iOS device or the Mac or whatever you're going to use as your interface to bring in your 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 Kindle book or your electronic book from wherever it's coming from. So there's a lot, there are a lot of steps involved and a lot of potential gotchas with it, but it's absolutely 100% does work. And my goal in many ways is to try to help people who need help figuring out ways to access these materials. I'm retired now and I have time to work on spreading the knowledge and spreading the word. And that's one thing that I'm really devoted to these days because I I'm so excited myself about reading that I want to bring it to people who don't know how to do it or who who haven't had the incredibly good fortune in their lives that I've had to be able to access these materials. So I mean I hope that hope that gives you a little flavor for what it's about. For sure. So is there a piece of tech that you love that you wish more blind readers knew about? Well, I mean, honestly, we, I, I love reading materials in Braille, and I love reading them on electronic Braille devices. We have displays that can display information electronically w with a series of little pins that pop up to display a line of information. You press a button, those pins retract and they pop up in a different configuration to display the next line of text. And so Braille though is not as actively supported in the schools and in other places as it was when I was a kid and I'm 67 years old. So that was a long time ago. But when I was a kid, we were taught Braille in school. I went to public school and was mainstreamed, but I had a, a resource teacher who taught me Braille and taught me touch typing and things like that. I really, really don't believe uh, people who are blind honestly have a real written language unless they learn Braille. Audio is great and it has its place. But only with Braille can you really see how things are punctuated, how they're spelled, how they're laid out in paragraphs and in format, the way people are accustomed to reading print. So I am all about trying to get as many electronic Braille displays in the hands of people who can use them. And the National Library Service has done a wonderful thing in recent years by making electronic Braille displays available to anyone, any of their 
uh, patrons who can make use of Braille. And these displays are now available to anyone who needs one. They're rolling them out state by state. And so they may not may or may not be available yet in your state, but they will be. For anyone who can use one, they're available from the National Library Service, which is part of the Library of Congress, free of charge to anyone who who, who qualifies for membership to the National Library Service. So this is very exciting in my opinion. I mean, it's extremely exciting. So what, what kinds of tech for reading do you hope to see more of in the future? Or are you just really hoping for more um, wide availability for these reader, like e-readers? Well, I obviously do hope for more wide availability, but I think there there is the there's the possibility of new technologies coming on the horizon that will make these kinds of devices more affordable, for example. I think there's going to be, uh, there already are a few multi-line devices coming available, which enable people to read more than one line at a time without having to refresh the display, which is potentially very exciting for people. I think the future looks pretty bright but we just have to do our job of getting more people excited about wanting to learn Braille and wanting to read read in Braille because there's nothing like it. You can you can do it privately, uh, you can do it any time, day or night, whether you whether or not you have a, an internet connection, as long as you have your book downloaded. And so, and there are all kinds of not only books, but newspapers and other kinds of current information materials available. I just hope we can manage to get more people engaged. Uh, people find Braille, you know, a lot of people find it difficult to learn, and it is. It's challenging. There's a lot to learn, but I am a testimony, personal testimony to the fact that it can be done. It is, it is doable. That is awesome. So speaking of getting more people excited about it, where can our listeners find your podcast online? Well, the podcast is available anywhere that you would normally subscribe to podcasts. If you just did a search for uh, the Tech Doctor, it normally comes up Tech Doctor blog and podcast that you can you can subscribe to it with any of the podcast listening apps that are out there. If you want to go directly to the website, that is dr-carter.com. dr-carter.com is the website where the podcasts are actually hosted and they can be listened to straight from the site as well. But most people would subscribe with a pod catching application of some sort, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. As always, we want to thank the wonderful moms who run our Facebook group. And remember, you can buy reading glasses, totes, stickers, pillows, shirts, sweatshirts, all kinds of fun stuff over at the Void Merch store. We have so many cool designs in there. They're really worth checking out. There's a link in the show notes. And if you like the show, please rate and review us on the podcast listening app of your choice. It's really great for us and helps us reach more listeners. You can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at readinggpodcast. On Instagram at readingglassespodcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for reading.
maximum fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.